Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gist of Freedom. Tonight, we're going to be talking to a gentleman, an African-American gentleman who was adopted into a white family. And uh, he's been keeping track of the news here lately. Uh, Former presidential candidate Mitt Romney's son has adopted an African-American child. Uh, His 22nd, uh, Mitt Romney's 22nd or 23rd uh, grandchild. Uh, The child's name is Kieran, which in African language means black. A little bit of controversy surrounding uh, the choice of names there. It seems that this adoption of children of color uh, has gone over into the political field, having had its origins in Hollywood. You recall back in the 40s and 50s, actors, Hollywood actors were very fond of going to Africa and bringing back stuffed animals they killed on the hunt. And then here lately in the 90s and 2000, uh, women, actresses in Hollywood, have gone over and are bringing back children of color. Seems to be a long-standing issue been going on for quite a while. Uh, there's a controversial case uh, just concluded in uh, the Cherokee Nation where a young Cherokee citizen, Veronica Brown, was adopted by a white family out of South Carolina, adopted at birth, and apparently the birth mother uh, agreed to the adoption prior to the birth. The adopted family was present in the hospital when the child was born. However, the father, Dustin Brown, Cherokee citizen, never signed over his rights or gave up his parental rights to his daughter. Uh, The courts, South Carolina court, uh, awarded the uh, Veronica to him, the Capo Cabanos, family out of South Carolina then went to court and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court which referred it back to uh, the Supreme Court of uh, South Carolina and what is at issue in that particular case is the Indian Child Welfare Act which basically states any native child uh, going out for adoption the preference of the adoptive family should be Native Americans, should have first option. 
I want to remind you that these shows are archived and available on iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. We're coming to you over www.blogtalkradio.com. I would also suggest that you send a friend request to our executive producer, Leslie Gist, on Facebook. And that's L-E-S-L-E-Y. She can also be reached at Leslie, the gift of freedom, dot com. It's the email address. Again, my guest tonight is Dr. Steve Davis, uh, who's going to discuss with us uh, his experience of growing up with a white family in an exclusive white town. Good evening, Mr. Davis. Good evening. How are you tonight? Oh, very well. Okay. So um, you were adopted out, uh, you're African-American, and you were adopted out to a white family. What age uh, were you when this adoption occurred? Uh, Ten years old. Ten years old? Yeah. And what were the circumstances? What caused you to have to be adopted? Oh, well, my mother, uh, she had, it was seven of us, and we lived in uh, North and um, all I can remember is that uh, diapers, you know, well, caseworkers, they came and uh, uh, they put us in a shelter. And, you know, they never explained anything to me. They just put me in a shelter, get into a foster home, and so on. And then finally okay. I, was, I was adopted. Was this in Newark, New Jersey, you said? No, 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 no. I, I started out in Newark. And... Um, I went from North to Belleville Shelter, where we all had, I think, the chicken pops or something. I, I, I know they quarantined us, and then uh, after that, they started splitting us up. Um, two went to uh, Georgia. Uh, two stayed in, well, four of us stayed in New Jersey. One went to uh, Texas. Okay, tell us about your experience in the shelter and the foster homes. What was that like for you? Well, the experience in, uh, in the shelter is that, um, I, you know, I felt like people were coming to work when I was little, and, you know, it's like you were treated like um, you're in a hospital, you know. You can't get immune to anybody, you know, there because they were workers. And um, then when you go from the, the shelter to the foster homes, there was a lot of abuse. Uh, at that time, Dyfus, uh, the workers, that worked for Dyfus, those were, you know, from my opinion, was people that lived in the suburbs. Because it was all white. I very seldom bumped into a black caseworker. Um, what happened was um, I was being abused in the force home, which I got marks and bruises and stains from it. And uh, they mostly adopted because uh, they wanted money, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, from that, uh, I went back into an orphanage. That was my last, about my last stage before I got adopted to the um, family. I lived in Little Falls, which is all white town at that time. And, uh, you know, when I got adopted with them, then things totally changed. Is that uh, one of the funniest things I ever... You know, Dr. excuse me for a minute here. Um, what kind of excuse were you given for the abuse? What was that all about? And... You said you got bruises. Was this with a paddle or what kind of oh, instrument you used? 
No, 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 no. Um, I got I got beaten with uh, sticks, um, whatever the person chose to hit me with in some foster homes where where there might have been a, a frying pan. <laughs> you know, uh, I have a mark on me from where that one of the foster parents, it was uh, so angry she was, like, actually chopping down the bathroom door and the axe came apart and a piece of it just hit me in the foot and I still had a mark today from that. You know, I have so, a walk. Uh, were you talking back, or what? What was what brought on this violence? Well, um, different things is that uh, I had a problem with, um, you know, when I used to wet the bed and stuff like that. You know, because when I was younger, you know, I used to hear my um, you know, parents or whoever was fighting and stuff, and it used to scare me. And I would be scared to go to the bathroom. So it just became a part of me. When I went to foster homes and everything else, if you, you know, you're eight years old and you went in the bed, they figured, you know, you, you know better, but they didn't understand it. I, it ain't that one of the wet the bed. It's just that uh, I was afraid of things. Did you ever see a counselor for uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder? No, until I got to the orphanage. They, they didn't give me that when I went to foster homes. See, what happened was how I got into the orphanage was because my last foster parent, well, before my last foster parent, um, that's the one that had hit me with the stick and everything else. Um, I actually took the stick back from her and started hitting her, and I ran out the door. And uh, that was in Patterson, New Jersey. And um, I hid from her, and then I know where the orphanage was because my sister was there. So I ran to the orphanage, and then that's when doctors decided to keep me from going to foster home. Then uh, maybe years later, I ended up getting adopted by the white family that when I lived in Little Falls and stuff. That was years later, though. But that's when I started getting the counseling and everything. That's when I got to the orphanage. But directly going from the shelter to the um, foster home, no, there was none of the counseling or anything. Okay. Did you ever record any of this abuse to the authorities? Um. When the, um, the case workers used to come in for checks and stuff like that, they would actually come to the foster homes, and they would sit in the living room, and we were the foster parents would have a prior discussion. If you say anything, do anything, they you know they did you. So you didn't say anything. You just sat there. The case worker said everything's going okay. You smile, you know, because you didn't know whether or not she could take you right out the door back right then and there, you know. So you just went along with it and said everything's okay and smiled, and then um, soon she leaves, you know. You know, things went right back to normal. So, so did, any, did any responsible adults, such as uh, teachers, preachers, et cetera, ever ask you about your injuries? No, 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 no. When I get certain injuries, uh, the school automatically, like, if you go to school, you have a problem in school, they think you're a problem child. So they didn't, you know, intervene into it at the time. You know, it would, like I said, the system would... would Dyphus and everything else, it wasn't all that great. You know, I don't know when it started, but I know back then, you know, um, from kids talking to each other in, in orphanages or forcing kids together, we all had the same problems. So it was pretty, mm-hmm. you know, pretty bad, believe me. And, and it's just kids don't open up to adults when they're little like that, you know. And that's why a lot of it was hidden. Now you said you were from. You had uh, there were seven of you children. What was your birth order? I didn't hear you. Okay. Now, did you go into foster care and in some of these places with your siblings? A uh, few of them, all of them, 
No, we were um, separated. Um, I didn't go with none of them. My sister, she stayed permanently in the orphanage. Um, my other sister and brother, they were together in the foster home, and two of them, I don't know because I don't know, I don't know where they are to today. And my other brother, um, he never made it into foster home. He stayed throughout the system, and eventually he died in uh, prison because. That's all he knew was being incarcerated. Mm-hmm. What about extended family members? Did they take any interest, uh, attempt to adopt, or show any interest at all? Mm, no. Well, not that I know of. My aunt said that she tried, but um, they would go in her background and, you know, see that uh, she already had, you know, too many kids or something like that, and they feel that uh, the environment wouldn't have been good with exposure of extra kids. So what happened after you ran away from the abusive uh, foster parent? Um, the orphanage, which is called Kell Barkin in Patterson, decided to keep me there for a while. And uh, I was getting therapy and everything, you know, and I was near my sister because she was there. And um, so uh, that's, you know, when I stayed there, that's how things started out through that, you know, on a positive end because, like I said, I was definitely getting the treatment I needed. You know, they take me to a psychiatrist. They asked me questions and everything else. Uh, I stopped wetting the bed. You know, uh, I wasn't worried about being hit anymore. And mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know. Did you have a private room there? One bed, one room, one bed? No. Um, there we share rooms. You know, you have two to a room or three to a room. You know, and there were some kids there that were other issues, but, you know, of... Um, not being orphans, but other issues. But we all, it was like, it worked out to be a big happy family type thing. You know, you had the ups and downs, but it wasn't bad as being in the foster home. How many children all told do you think were there, and were you allowed any visitors? Yeah, um, it was maybe about, uh, I guess, um, say, 14 or 15 um, on, at certain ages, and then the, the older ones were downstairs. So in total um, orphanage, it might have been maybe like 20. And um far as visitors, you, you go to a normal school. Um, there was no fenced in or nothing like that. You know, you go in the community, you, you, you know, you, you rake leaves for people, you know, um, do different things in, in the area and stuff. And it wasn't like, you know, some type of lockdown situation. Is like a regular home, but different is it's just that you know you're an orphan. You know you just work for the orphanage part. You know you go to like I say grammar school or high school, or whatever. And most of the kids didn't know your background in the neighborhood because they didn't uh, they didn't know it was an orphanage. I see. What are your fondest memories of being at that particular institution? Well, um, being around my sister, you know. And being around, well, in the community that, you know, I was I was immune to, um, because um, when I ended up going to Little Falls, it was a total different community, you know. So the funders is being, like, in my own community, running around with people, you know, and dealing with things that I know how to deal with. Are you close to your sister today? Um, she passed away early. Um, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, if you had, I, go ahead. Yeah, out of seven of us, um, there's only two left. 
And only two left. Yes. If you would like to thank anyone today for having a positive influence on you and giving you a sense of security during that period that we're talking about right now, who would that be? Um, that would be a director. Well, he became the director of the orphanage by the name of Bob Neal. Um, he was, um, he became a preacher. And, um, you know, he stuck tight to me, you know, through all that. And he didn't, uh, well, he worked with me a lot and talk, told me a lot of things. And, uh, you know, so I, I give it to him. Okay. Are you uh, in contact with him, still close to him to this day? Um, he, had, he was in a car accident, so he didn't make it through. So he, he uh, passed away down in all Florida. Okay. Uh, can you tell us about the day you met the people that abused you? Um, how that happened was um, when I first came from the shelter in Belleville, from when they finished quarantine and everything else, I just immediately uh, put me in a foster home. Uh, with um, it, actually, he was a passing police officer by the name of Howard Klein. And um, I stayed there for a short period of time because he was beginning to get sick. He was an older person and he began to get sick and stuff. And uh, the the wife kind of abused me a lot because I believe he adopted me to give her something to do. And so I just kept crying one day when I noticed that it was getting real bad. And so that just came. And as soon as they came and took me out of there, they put me immediately into the second foster home, just immediately, right after that, right into the foster home. No break, nowhere, no nothing. Just took me there. Um, the woman that adopted me in the second foster home had um, passed away. Her daughter took over, and that's when all the abuse mainly started. Like one incident, I, I remember to this day, you know, I can't, just can't get it out of my head. Um, I was outside playing, and I happened to come in the house, and I, you know, I had smelled like some like cookies were cooking or cake was cooking or something. So I go and I look in the oven. And somebody put ice cream in the oven, and they had a deep freezer. And what it was was her son put the uh, ice cream in there and must have went back outside or something, and he was older than me. And I went in the bedroom and I told her that somebody put ice cream in the, in the oven, and she got up, and her boyfriend was there, and she told me that I did it. And she started cursing at me, and everything else, I told her I didn't do it. And she immediately got a, a stick and started beating me. And um, when her son came in the house and he told her that it was him, then she's going to turn around and say to me, that, well, her boyfriend said, well, you're beautiful nothing. Then she turned around and says, well, damn it, he needed one anyway. You know, these are the things that I've been through, you know, and people just don't know that. Dyphus, um, put it like this, if I had to go through it again, I would never trust Dyphus. That okay. I would never, because they don't, the, the, the investigations and things like that, they're supposed to take a child away from the scene and, 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 you know, ask questions and things like that. You know, they don't do things like that. They just, and they got inexperienced people, uh, like young people that probably don't have the experience of, or some people probably don't have kids understand the signs that the kid is stressed or anything else to notice. Now, I don't know how they developed it so far now, but on that period of time, no, they, they, they don't have that, I don't believe they have that type of training for these stress points. Exactly. Um, Dr. Day, I'm uh, very appreciative that you come on to the Guest of Freedom this evening. 
to share with us a very personal uh, story and a very personal experience. Um, what do you think of some of the glamorization of uh, and TV of um, black kids being adopted into white families, such as the show Webster? Uh, I think there was a show called The Different Strokes. Are you familiar with those shows, and do you have any yeah. thoughts about that? Yes, I'm familiar with Different Strokes, and that's what it, this, uh, how I got adopted. And, like, even with Mike Tyson, you know, people see, um, you know, that uh, some kids, they, they see the abilities in them. Some people use them for um, just a status thing. And, you know, uh, if you pull a child, this is what I believe, and I can say this because if a person experienced what I experienced, then they understand they pulled me out of, out of Patterson, put me into Little Falls, all right, and Cedar Grove area. And when you're the only black kid in the whole town or the whole school and everything else, you can't tell me that person had the best benefit of that child in, in mind. You know, you, you might as well just keep him in his neighborhood if you're going to put him in that type of environment because a couple of things you do to him, you split him. Now, my sister lived in Patterson. I lived in Little Falls. I'm going to a school with it, and I'm getting an excellent education. Yeah, I'm around people that do things a certain way. Um, yeah. I'm, being, I'm being followed home by the police. You know, I had to come in the house and say, hey, to my foster father, uh, you know, the police says, next time you tell them, thank you for escorting your home, you know. But one of the incidents that I remember real good there is that the fire alarm went off in the house. They, they had me on, um, on, well, they grounded me. And they went out, and the fire alarm went off on the house. And when the police and everybody came, they tried to arrest me. <laughs> and the neighbor had to tell them that I actually lived there. Okay. You know, so in another instance, where is it that when I first got there, maybe three weeks later, I needed, back then, you know, you had your afro and everything, you know, and we used afro machine. I accidentally gave me some grease. I don't know what kind of, it came back with something so thick that it turned my hair pure white. You know, there was some learning experience they had to learn, you know, just in, in dealing with, with, with me. You know, and um, going to school, you know, uh, sports and everything else, anything I have ever done in that in that school, if I jump high, they expect every black person to jump high. You know, because there was kids that didn't deal with blacks. You know, now, my attitude changed towards my own people because I was caught in the middle of something. I'm, I'm, I'm pretending to be one person. Then when I go into another neighborhood, I got to pretend to be another person. So the question comes up when people adopt these kids, I mean, what identity do they really have? You know, no matter if, if I become 50, 60, whatever, even today I'm over 50, I'm still fighting that situation. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. Um, Dr. Faye, could you back up just a moment and uh... – Tell us about the day that you met these uh, your adoptive parents. Um, it was the, it was the Cosmellos, and um, what happened was um, they came to the orphanage. They was giving um, toys and stuff on Christmas time, and um, what happened was they said they would come back again, you know, and um, take us to their home, like two or three kids on the weekend to their home for, um, you know. She was a photographer, and, and he owns, like, uh, multiple um, auto body shops. So he was well-off individuals. Um, 
So what happened was I was like the, maybe almost close to the last um, batch to go. And um, right. what happened was when I got to the house, it was a beautiful place. I mean, you got the open swimming pool. They have dirt bikes and everything else. You know, um, everything real excellent. I mean, when I say excellent, compared to where I come from, it was magnificent. Okay? So yeah. uh, what happened was they uh, eventually asked that I wanted to be adopted. Now, first thing that came to my mind was, hey, the dirt bikes, my own bedroom, you know, uh, you know, all the all the nice things that I never had. I never thought about my feelings involved in this. I, I went for that part of it. I never thought that I was going to have any other problems, you know, and that was the hidden agenda right there. And uh, so when they adopted me, that's what basically was on my mind is that I got sucked into a thing where it's that, hey, I had all these toys and my own bedroom, you know, uh, clothes that I normally, you know, because the other force home, I was getting secondhand clothes, you know. And I'd rather have the secondhand clothes today, trust me. I still shop at the secondhand store, you know. But okay. when I went on the other end, because, like I said, when I went to school there, um, I was getting called. They didn't even write on the walls in the place. When I got there, I didn't know what nigger meant, you know. And these are the things people don't, regardless of how nice people are, there's always going to be people around you and around them or that adopt you that don't like you. I had, you know, cousins that were white, you know. They became my cousins and everything else. Some of them didn't agree with me, you know, and did I they, could see, see it. Did they ever give you an explanation as to why they chose you? To understand that often black males are hard to adopt uh, because of their age and whatnot. So... Um, did they give you a, a reason, an explanation? Well, here's what I picked up over the years that I noticed. Um, this, well, they went into activities like when you say people have hobbies. Uh, when you mention hobbies in, in the city, most people probably didn't understand what you're going to be saying. A hobby. Okay, their their hobby was okay, uh, martial arts, uh, doing certain different things. Like she was a photographer and things like that. Their sons were taking up karate and everything else because sons used to get beat up in school. Now they adopt me. They don't get beat up no more. Okay? So now I'm the big bad guy in town, you know, and would, would, would people adopt uh, a kid, another kid or a black kid and say, hey, my kids won't get beat up? The question is there. You know, uh, the answer is, Yes, I believe that people will go to, to an extent and say, hey, I would adopt a kid if I know that he's a good athlete, you know, and I am a good athlete. You know, uh, I was averaging 27 points a game doing, you know, you understand? I, I played football when I played football for them and everything else like that. Uh, he used to tell me, oh, you got to do is growl and then move out your way. He wasn't lying. And, you know, I, I go to the kid on the line, and the kid just jumped out of the way. You know, so they knew right then and there. Just like I said, you have all these other kids that turn, like the, I don't know the name of the individual, but he was a uh, football player. The family adopted him. They know what they had. They know when they had Mike Tyson. Any kid that they know that there's a chance, okay, especially a black male, the chances are very high if you open up his mind, right, and give him the physical training that he needs, which they were giving me physical training and everything else to make it through. Now, like I said, uh, when I came 
uh, when I did that, I played ball excellent. Only reason I didn't go far with it because I broke my leg completely in half. And once that happened, guess what? Everybody disappeared. Mm. So you um, you became more or less a bodyguard. Yes. Yes. And uh, yes. now, did you have a, a fight? Did you go back to visit the adoptive parents and get involved in some fisticuffs? I, I, I didn't hear what you said. Uh, did you um, have an occasion? How long have you? Um, um, something. Uh, uh, tell me about your first fight as a visitor. Um, when you were uh, when, it when when uh, when I first uh, went there to the house in uh, Little Falls for the first time for the for the uh, the weekend when they when they you know when they bring the kids over for the weekend. Um, right. It was three of us, me and their two sons, and we were riding our bikes behind this, this school, Passaic uh, Valley High School, and there's a dirt trail back there. And what happened was um, when we were riding and everything else, um, there was a bunch of other kids back there, and um, something happened between their son and this other kid. And I went over there to assist them, and, and then uh, one of the kids, I didn't even know him, you know, he got into calling me names and everything. He didn't call me nigga, and I, said, I didn't understand what he was talking about. And I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get involved with those. Most back back then in, in, in that time, people didn't just call you outright nigga in your own neighborhood. So you didn't understand. So I had asked uh, my foster, well, I became my foster brother, what is he talking about? He said, well, he's trying to insult you, you know. So I decided to just beat him up because he thought he was going to insult me. So I did beat him up. And then when I beat him up, because not only because of he trying to insult me, but because he was messing with um, their, their son. So when that happened, um, we went back to the house. The police came and everything else. And um, the father stood up, stood up for me. Well, he became a force father. He stood up for me and everything else like that. And right after that, that's how the door opened up. That's basically really how the door opened up. Okay. So you're in this uh, exclusive white town going to a white high school. Uh, oh, grammar, doing... grammar school. It was grammar school. Oh, grammar school. Yes, this is grammar school. I was in grammar school when I was there. Okay. Did you have any other altercations? Yes. It, it was um, the other altercation I had was with the um, the, the bully of the school. And um, what happened was, well, when I was having all the problems, I uh, came home one day and I was crying, and my fourth father caught me crying. And he asked me, what's wrong? And I was like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on me in school. You know, every day I'm being called names and stuff like that. And then he explained to me, you know, there's only three things you can do. Uh, either you got an education or you got money or you got fear. So he says, which one do you have or do you have any of them? I said, I don't have no money. I don't have an education yet. And he says, well, you have fear, right? I said, no, I'm not scared. He said, that's the idea, but they're scared of you. So he said, utilize it. So what he told me is, you know, if I get into, well, basically, if I get into a fight with the, the bully, make sure you don't lose because it's about to come. So anyway, I go to school, and uh, we were out in, um, on, on, on the field that day on lunch break playing volleyball. And um, he happens to come over and kick the ball to the other side, you know, and I told him to go get the ball. So he started calling me all kinds of names and ended up calling me nigger. I already knew that was supposed to be an insult right there, so I chased him and everything. I started beating on him and stuff. 
I mean, I beat him like I never beat nobody before. And all the anger in me and everything came out. And um, plus what my first father told me is don't lose this fight. That's a fight I'm not supposed to lose. And I didn't lose. Um, eventually, uh, I got suspended. He got suspended. I came back before he did it. And when I came back, their whole demeanor in that school and everything changed. I became the, the, the how you say it? It was a panther walking in the hen house. Okay. Ran. And, but the bully that used to be became my best friend. Because of course. I didn't, and, and, and what it was is that, see, I didn't understand what dirty white trash was then. You know, I didn't know that the people I with were considered him dirty white trash. Because he lived on the other side of the tracks in a little falls where, where supposed to be where the poor ones were living. So we became the best of friends, you know, and his sister actually took to the prom. So that's how that turned out, you know. And do everybody ever say, do I have responded to me? No, but I know better to say, would I be adopted by it? If I had to do it all over again, to be adopted like that? No. No, because to this day, like I said. Are you in contact with him to this day? No. Because what happened was, I finally um, ran away from them at the end, you know, um, because I couldn't deal with a lot of things. And uh, I, I feared them in, in a way, not because they were abusive. I feared them, not physically abusive, but the mental abuse. That's why what, I ran uh, away. Describe the mental abuse. And how old were you when you ran away from them? Um, I was, uh, at that time, I was. Sixteen. Sixteen. And describe the uh describe the mental abuse, if you would. Well, it's it's hidden. It is it's like um we went to church, okay? And when we go to church it was all white church. Okay. You go inside this church and you got people looking at you, every you know, you better have your head down, they peeking at you. You know, you go like I said, you go places and you know, where all whites are at, you go out to dinner. And they questioning, you know, you they know who you are. Everybody in the place restaurant know who you are. Oh, that's so nice. They adopted them. Oh, you, know, yeah. you, ain't got to tell them. you don't have to tell these people that. You can't hide. You go if if, if they took me to, uh, like even if I reverse it, I, I decide to tell them, hey, let's go to Patterson. You know, I want to treat you to see with my sister and everything, or, or to a friend's house over there. Then they're gonna say, oh. They're going to say the same thing. Oh, it's so nice they adopted him. They say, you eat a border. You can't get away from it. So they never took you to a black church? No. I know. Oh, no. Oh, no. You forget that one. Never asked if I wanted to go. You know, it, it was, like I said, their way. Everything is their way. Uh, culture. Uh, do you really think they teach African culture in, in, in Little Falls? Okay. So what was the straw that broke the camel's back? What caused you to, to leave? Was there an incident that caused you to leave? To be honest with you, a broken heart. Broken heart. Yeah. Um, when it comes down to necessity of, of, of sharing your feelings with people and everything else, um, I did like a, a, a female, and um, I heard her father say uh, he didn't want her around no nigger, nothing like that. When you're young, you try to get away from around that, you know. If you see kids when they play on the playground, they don't go, you know, at a young age calling each other names and everything. They have no idea of any of that, only what their parents are teaching them. 
Now, when you go through that to break somebody's, you know, their whole spirit and their whole heart, you know, where else do you go? You know, you have to go back to where you come from because you, you just don't fit in. You know, so, so and when they adopt, what I'm saying is when they adopt them, you know, do they expect? All right, I hear this. I'm 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 black male. Now they raised me and everything. Who do they expect me to date? Mm-hmm. You know. So you're do they, 16. Do they expect exactly. me to date Susie next door? Are they going to say, "Hey, listen, we're going to give you a chance to go to you know an area where you can choose"? Yeah, limited options there, isn't there? Right, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. These are the things that people don't think of, and they think it just when people say it's better than them being in the city, dying in the streets. You know, this is the first thing they're going to say. Oh, you're a black male, you're a statistic. You know, sometimes I'm not going to lie to you. The pain that you endure as a young person, and if you do survive it, okay, really not knowing who you are, you 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 might as well consider yourself dead in the street because, like I said, I live in a town now. I raised kids up here already. My kids went to college and everything else. My son made national honor at Kennedy High School and everything else. But I have problems with people I talk to every day. I don't see eye to eye with them. I don't. It's like we a Mac. At one time, talking to a PC, you know, we both computers, but we just not getting it right. You know, some things is, is just best left alone. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. they say what the this and that. If I die in the inner city, at least I died the way you know, uh, the way it's supposed to happen. Not because you you. It's like going into the jungle and and, and you see the the lion uh, get killed, and she had cubs, and everything. Try to save the cubs. But you raise the cubs up around man, you can't put the, the, the cubs when they grow up to be real lions or lioness. You can't put them back in the in the jungle because why? They're immune to humans. Mm-hmm. So with the breakup with this um, this girl that you were interested in, you went home, you packed your bags at sixteen. Where did you go? No, I, I ran away. I ran away to the orphanage and I stayed. Oh, you there. went back. You, okay, you ran away to the orphanage. Right. You know, I went back to the orphanage, and um, they asked me um, what's wrong and everything. I never told them. I just said to them, I just don't want to be there. I can't tell them I got a broken heart. You know, I, I don't fit in. You know, I just told them I, I just can't go back. I just can't, you know. Okay. Yeah. And so how long did you stay at the orphanage uh, after returning um, at well, after that, I ended up going to an academy. They tried to they, they explained that they'd rather try to, you know, help me out and everything else. And so they put me through a school and everything, and that's where I stayed at for the rest of the period of time. I never got adopted again or anything, and, um, you know, I just accepted it. Because you know, I, I had cases of both sides of the borders. I was better off where I was at. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and, I, and, and, and for people would say, oh, well, you know, you could have been this and that. No. I, I do very well in life, you know. Like I said, I raised three kids. Well, not one is mine, the two older ones are not. So basically I actually adopted kids because they were my stepkids, but I don't call them that. I really hate using that word. And um, they did very well. My, my son went to Florida A&M, played football down there. He made national honor roll, like I said. My daughter, she had scholarships and things, you know. So I made sure they their life was balanced. That's the main thing. Yeah, the main. Did you uh, have any contact with that last family? Um, 
that you were adopted into? Have you seen them since? You are you cordial with them? Not at all. No, I don't. Um, uh, one of my best friends, supposed to be my best friend. Okay, um, uh, he's a, he's a trooper. He's actually a sergeant, and um, I tried to get into contact with him a couple times. And and who this individual was is that uh, he's the son of the father that was teaching the martial arts. And they just, you know, like I said, they just peeled me off like, you know, he never returned my calls or anything like that. So cause I don't know what the other ones are right now. I wouldn't need to go, you know, really. Because like I said, there was some abuse there, but not that physical. It was the more mental abuse. Um, either one incident. Um, I forgot the, me and the son was fighting the oldest son because the oldest son used to beat up the youngest son. And we were in the backyard fighting. And every time I was getting the best of his son, the father would break it up. Mm-hmm. And figured that his son would always try to get the best of me. But every time we get down to that point where I'm really beating the hell out of him, I hate to say it like that, but he would jump right back in again and break it up and say, all right, start it over again. You know, see, it's 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 a, it's a lot of different things that happen. Um, this is I just don't want to, you know, there's some things there that I just don't want to really remember because um, it, it's like, uh, how can I say, there's some things that happen even with the mother that I don't like how she used to walk around and stuff. And, and, and you know, it was things that I just didn't agree with, you know, and it was more mental things. They just physically didn't do damage to you. It was the mental, like I said, it's, it's mental games they play. Yeah, that incident uh, you just described is a form of physical abuse. Well, in other words, you know, some people are physical, some people are mental on how they abuse a person, you know, and if you mentally tell the person something every day, every day, or do something to them in that manner or make them follow a rule, they eventually believe, you know, in, in that, you know, and that's, like I said, People, you know, like I said, the main thing, if you pull a person out of their environment you, 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 and put them into another environment, they should watch them very, very closely and pull them away from there every now and then ask them questions away from them, the parents. Don't ever ask them, you know, questions right there in front of them. Just pull them away. Yeah, the adoptive father, I think, was... Uh physically abusive, uh, you shouldn't have to fight, you know. Uh, he's making his birth son uh, fight as if it was a pit bull fight of some sort. Right, you know? that's that's what it is. And that, and it, like, like, like I said, here's a question. I mean, here, here's, here's, here's something I like to ask you because if you're in an adoption and they love their child, they do love their children, okay, now, if it came down to where that you had a hand, okay, on uh, one hand on the other one, one hand on the other one, they're both hanging over a cliff, who do you think their parent really going to help if it really came down to one of them have to go? Mm-hmm. Do you ever consider that you and the foster brother should have jumped the father? Well, <laughs> the mother, you know, the mother played a role with that she, she was in the house saying it wasn't right and this and that and everything else. But like I said, there's a situation that comes up in those households that do they truly, truly love that individual, okay, 
would they give their own child up for that individual? In other words, if you adopt me, would you give your kid up for adoption, your child up for adoption, just to get me? Okay. Um, tell us how you broke your leg. Explain that incident to us. Um, I was playing um, sports one day, baseball, and I happened to run, and my leg shattered completely. Uh, the lower uh, tibia and the fibula uh, cracked red in half. And uh, it was like well, a Kaiserman break. It broke up. And um, at that point in time, um, I had four operations in six months in the hospital. That was Mountainside Hospital in Mount Clear. And um, like I said, I had scholarships and things to be able to go places. And that's where, like I told you, it was like the racehorse. I broke my leg. I was finished. You know, I mean, and, you uh, Were you sliding into base? Did you run into somebody? Did they trip you? No, 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 no. I was running the first base, and being honest with you, I was trying to use a lot of aggression, you know, and um, the guy stuck the leg between my eyes and snapped it completely, you know. And because um, I had, when I, when I say extraordinary strength, I really did have that. I used to go to uh, School 26 in Patterson, and I, I'm, I'm to this day, I still had the broad jump record. Because, uh, you know, like I said, I had a lot of power. And um, that was just, the doctor even said it was a freak break. And I wanted to, the reason I wanted to become famous is so that I can rescue my sisters and brothers, you know. And um, but it, when that happened, that just turned my whole world around to something different. You know, I think God had another plan for me. So that that's how that happened with the legs. Okay. And that stopped everything, and that stopped people from, that's one of the things when they were looking at me and everything else, once all that occurred, it was, you know, that was the end of it. Anybody ever, you know, understanding me or, or want to do anything with me. Were you ever able to rescue any of your uh, siblings? No. I was ready to do a step and couldn't do it. No. Okay. Um Tell us about the conversation you had with your adopted father uh, about expanding his business. Um, one day when we were talking and he had a business and everything else, and I said, "Wow, gee, I want to grow up and um, you know, you know, do you know, run a business and everything else like that." And he happened to say, "Niggas don't run businesses," you know. And he actually outright said that, but he didn't think that I took it in that. He's like, you know, you're not the nigga, but most niggas don't run a business in their business. So. He used the N word? Yes, yes. Oh, believe me. See, here's the thing with them. They use it to say other blacks, but then they turn around and tell you you're not that one. You're smarter. That's what I, and, and, and I guarantee you a lot of them will understand what I'm saying, uh, you know, they're, they're, oh, you know, there's some dumb niggers or, you know, but you're not a nigger. You're not a nigger. You know, we're not talking about you, okay? Uh, uh-huh. Or there's some dumb blacks and everything, but not you. It's still trying to make me think that I'm supposed to be something other. Has my foster brothers ever used it? Yes, they have used it. But it was supposed to be pertaining to me. Once the word gets around, everybody uses it. So, I mean, it's so many different times I can call so many different situations where, you know, uh, they tell me it, it don't pertain to me. 
I'm different now. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about the foster mother. Tell us a little bit more about her and her attitude. And uh, Well, you hear stories where um, you have parents where they jump on their own kids and things like that or seduce their own kids, okay? This question, okay. how much of it do they, most people think happens to foster kids that go into foster care? You can check people all day long. Okay, unless you sit down and they take a lie detector test and a sight test, okay, then you just might, you just might know them. But before you do anything like that, you don't know them because, oh, they got money, they got a good background, that makes them okay. Okay. It, it, it doesn't work that way. It ain't supposed to work that way. But that's the way it do work. Now, what I mean is, it's like, who walks through a house where, you know, the child knows you ain't got no underwear on, uh, and you can see through the gowns and things, certain things they ain't supposed to be seeing, and, and, and when you're old, they color up with you and everything else. You, you, I know when you when you hurt or something or you're upset about something, when you're supposed to hug a person, and then there's a difference, you know? So now, you know, you, you, you're in a household where is it that you don't know what's it's that mental thing. Like I told you, it's that mental thing. You know, it's it's do the do the father get upset at you, or maybe the father likes it. I don't know, but I'm not no fool. So yeah. believe me, you can be a person to become a toy inside somebody's home when they're supposed to be right. Okay. Do the, right. do the story goes, do the story goes, oh, what size shoe do he wear? Oh, you know, the black guys, you know. Oh, do the parents, oh, do you, that, oh, he, he wears a 14. Do she have to watch me take a shower? Or uh, are you okay in the bathroom? Oh, she definitely has some ulterior motive, huh? Well, that's what I'm trying to explain is that people don't know. See, dices don't ask these questions. They don't go near, they don't get, they don't get no tests. They don't give any type of test to these things. Well, that certainly fed into your decision to leave that place, to leave that wow. home. Like, like I said, you're talking in the in, in the seventies and in diapers. Or I don't know when diapers started. I don't know what the proper protocols were there and everything else like that. But like I said, I was in a shelter, and uh, it's called Jen's Shelter, and something happened there that I could never tell nobody, that I know that something went on when, even when staff was doing things to people, you know, and you hear, you know, you, people hear all about these abuses back then. It's real. It's really real. Yeah. You know, I not only... I have a two-pronged question. Um, we opened the show talking about uh, Mitt Romney, uh son uh, adopting a black baby. And... Um, what advice would you give to that grandson? And what advice would you give to Romney? Send the kid back. That's just simple as that. Because it's, it's not a toy. Okay? It's not because, uh, it, why did he decide to do it now? Why did he do it 20 years ago? Why did he do it five years ago? Why now? Okay. 
And if that should not happen, what advice would you give to the adopted child? Well, to, to know, really know himself, know his history, and know where he comes from, you know what I'm saying? Because the question is, if he has sisters and brothers and things like that, of course he's going to want to know that. He's going to want to know who his father was, whether his father was good or bad, his mother was good or bad. He's going to have that double identity. So the, my thing is to him, ask them to make sure they dig them up. Don't hide them. Because I had to go around and think my mother was dead, you know, all the way until I was, what, 15 years old. Every every grave that I passed through when I went to North, I think she was in that grave. And found out that she wasn't, and then she actually died at 41, you know. Even though she she wasn't a, a, a mother to me, but I understood what she went through. I had to find that out later. So to him, it's basically he's going to want to know something about his past like anybody else. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have any uh, contact with your biological father? No, never had no contact with him. Okay. Um, do you feel like you have anything in common with uh, President Obama? I mean, he was a birth child, but he was still black, being raised by a white family. We have in common. We we both know secrets. That's what we have in common. We probably both know some secrets that we would never probably tell the world. Oh boy! Okay. Okay. Now, uh, was there something about a Catholic priest? Did you mention a Catholic priest, or was there? Catholic priests involved anywhere in your life while you were with this adopted family? Oh, well, no. It was that um, I used to go to, uh, in North, there's a big, 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 big church by Branchwood Park. And um, that's how I know about, um, well, dealing with the Catholics and everything else, because I used to go to um, the churches and everything else. I used to find my way home because of that church. Okay. You know? And because um, I used to run around like the neighborhood and everything, but I always look up and see that steeple and everything. And uh, that's basically the, the Catholic Church. I think there's a Catholic Church because yeah, it got to be huge. Okay, I've got one last question for you. It may be two pronged here, but it's about filing suit against the abusive uh, adoptive parents or suing the agencies. You know, a number of these uh, Catholic boys went back and sued the church uh, for what they suffered. Have you ever considered uh, bringing suit against some of these agencies, these families that so abused you? Um, I would like to, but I think it's too far gone. Because, like I said, um, that's one of the things that's been in the back of my head always is what can I do to, uh, you know, um, about places like that. And everything. every time I see people come up and they, and they finally telling the truth and everything else, and I think I was like, to me, I'm thinking I was too old. People don't want to hear that, you know, uh, that, oh, why did you wait so long and everything else like that. Uh, when you're at a certain age, you don't think because of your age. You still see it as was yesterday. You know, and um, as far as uh, Dyfus and everything, as I had a little run with Dyfus 
lately, and, they, and I still believe that their policy is bad, the training is bad. So how would I be able to actually set it against ISIS? I probably have to do a site or something and ask all these questions. Are you doing this? Uh, are you doing that? Let me interrupt. Uh, we have some callers on the line, Dr. Fay. Are you on the line, caller? Hello, caller. I think they might have hung up. Okay. Callers, the lines are open if you want to call in and have a question for our guest, Dr. Faye Davis. And um, Dr. Faye, tell me, uh, have you ever worked? Are you currently working with any adopted or foster children? Um, what I work with now is uh, what they call um, students that are, are, are you know, supposed to be so aggressive and everything, classified students and everything else. I started a company that started working with them, you know, because um, they transport them from north to different areas and everything else like that, and they'd be on board buses. So my, my thing is to try to talk to them and you know, work things out with them with that. Some of the kids that I've been talking to, they end up getting on, on a roll. Um, the the school noticed that they're not as violent anymore. You know, they don't know what the change was, but I, like I said, I know what the change is because they believe in one thing and everything else. So it's, it's all about talking to individuals. So, I, yes, I do work along with some students now, and hopefully I get my company up and running you know, but I need a lot of support to do that. That's the problem. And uh, I've been going through some serious challenges to get that done. And it, it's it's not, you know, fanning out just well at this point. But I'm being still successful in what I'm doing, you know, with the kids. Exactly. I, I, how, would, how would people get in contact with you? What's the name of your company? And how would uh, someone get in contact with you if they wanted to join you in that effort? Oh, it's called the USMCT. That's U.S. Motor Carrier Transporters. And okay. And at 862-668-5621. And that's in Okay, give us that one more time. 862-668-5621. Now, the and ultimate goal of this company is to actually uh, turn the youth that are having problems into employees, okay, and they would mentor the, the next batch. That's my ultimate goal. Because they've been through something. They they can be the preachers now. And they, you know, because they survived the war. You know, and that's my main, because I survived it. And uh, I don't need to go, I dropped out of college. I've been in the service and everything else. Uh, and, you know, I got the experience through the actual war itself. Not because uh, I went to a fight and got some rank. You know? Okay. So, so you, served, that, you served in the military? Yes. Did you see the uh, film Antoine Fisher? What, if you saw it, what were your thoughts on it? Antoine Fisher? Yeah. Um, it's well, well, my main thing on this is, is, is to say this. The biggest problem of the whole thing is that the law is the law. It, you, can't, you can hide no justice, no peace, all you want until you actually able to defend yourself with the law itself. You know, and I learned that through everything I've been going through, forced homes and everything, I've been abused and everything else like that, I can holler all day long, 
until I learned to defend myself. Now I have learned to do so. You know, now it, it's a different story. So basically with that case there, like the President of the United States, he could put his words into it, but what it should have been, you know, you need to wake up and start learning law so each individual could defend themselves and the system will be able to swap with, with, with paperwork and everything else because, you know, that's what they believe in that community. Where I came from that community, that's one thing they taught me, paperwork. Okay. You know, and that's why none of them, you don't, hear, you don't see the hair or the shootings and all the abuse in that community because they know that those people know the law. So are you, uh, are you uh, writing a book? You got any projects going on? No, not, not. The only thing project I got going on is, like I said, trying to get this company up and running. And, um, you know, this has been in the works for a minute. And it came at the right time because, like I said, I happened to be driving a school bus, and that's how I, I you know, I, I, I deal with the kids, you know, because I drive the school bus, and I only deal with alternatives. Seem like that's all the routes they give me, alternative schools. And the kids get on there, and they're very aggressive and everything else. And after a while, maybe um, uh, two weeks or three weeks after that, you know, they all calm down because uh, they have complaints to the principal, the right I'm doing now. They went inside and they said, oh, we hate him, you know. So the principal comes out and says to me, oh, you must be doing a good job because you're the only one that they hate. I hate to cut you off right now, but uh, we've got to go. Our time's run out. I want you to keep us abreast of your progress uh, with your company. Uh, We'll probably have you back on the show at a um, future date, and I'm so grateful that you have joined us and – shared your very intimate and personal uh, experience through the adopted system. I want to say good night to everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I've been your host here on the Gifts of Freedom. My guest has been Dr. Faye Davis, who has been sharing his experience as an African-American going through the uh, adoptive system and being adopted into a white family. And uh, I will remind you that this program is available on iTunes at www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. And with that, I'm going to say good night to everybody. Good night.